Ahoy, it's your boy, and welcome to episode 33 of the podcast, This Is M, which you can subscribe to on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, wherever you listen to podcasts. And uh, normally I tell you uh, how to connect with the Instagram and Twitter profiles that we have, but I don't give a fuck anymore. I don't care about that stuff. Just subscribe to the podcast and share it. Think of someone in your life who you think would like it and, excuse me, think of someone in your life who would like it and um, send them your favorite episode and tell them to check it out. Let's try to grow this thing. You know, we have a small band of regular listeners. You know, I look at the numbers and I see uh, a cohort of listeners who are sort of uh, working their way through the episodes at relatively the same rate. So um, if you continue to tune in and listen, thanks so much. Uh, It means a lot that you do. Um, the only other thing I would ask you is please take a moment to rate and review the show on your favorite platform. Um, if you enjoy it, you know, look us up on Apple podcasts, give us a five star review and, um, type a few sentences of what you like about the show that, uh, can really influence, um, whether or not people tune into the podcast. And I have to be honest, this is actually the third time I've started recording this episode because, you know, as I've tried to talk about my day or my week, there's this one thing gnawing at my fucking brain that, you know, it's not a huge deal, but for some reason, as I was talking through the other episodes and recording, I was trying to ignore this thing that was, that was at the front of my brain about the podcast and it was just not working. So I don't know if I'll live to regret bringing this up, but, um, it's on my mind and I don't know, we should talk about it because I, it's, it's not, well, fuck it. I'll just tell you what it is. So, um, the reason I'm asking you to give this thing a good review is because we had our first, um, not our first one star review, but the first time someone wrote a skewering review of the podcast. And I really, I'm not going to spend any time dismantling it because I, I, you know, if you do enjoy this podcast, we're on the same wavelength. And, um, I mean, I disagree with almost every point the reviewer makes, but, um, you know, I, I, I'm not going to spend a lot of time, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, defending myself maybe. Um, or, um, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know if you're like me, you're smart. You'll probably hear it the same way I do. And you know, you'll, uh, you'll be able to pull the rug out from under it yourself, but I do want to read it to you. And, um, the reason I think it's important or the, or the reason it's, it's probably in my mind right now is there's something about reading this review and absorbing, you know, whether or not I trust this person's judgment, you know, when you do something creative, like a, like a, like a podcast or being a musician or what, whatever you do, um, you open yourself up to criticism. And, um, you know, I'm not saying it's like, uh, being blasted in the New York times or, um, having Siskel and Ebert give you two thumbs down, but, you know, if you're, you know, if you're open to it, if you're, if you're, I guess, frankly, a normal human being, you know, criticism is hard to, it can be hard to deal with and you have to cultivate a certain level of resiliency. And that's a word that's been coming up for me a lot with the whole shelter in place. And, and it just kind of, you know, it's, it's funny how things come to you at the same time, but I, I literally read this review the same day, uh, Chris D'Elia's most recent podcast episode came out, um, it's called The Man in the Arena, and he reads this quote by Roosevelt that uh, I'm going to read at the end of this, um, but um, and so I'll try to connect a few dots here in just a minute, but I, I'd like to read the review in full, and um, this is our most recent review on Apple Podcasts. It was posted April 13th. 
The author's name is Jay Gatsby Galt, which is clearly a moniker. Jay Gatsby is the is the uh, protagonist from The Great Gatsby by Fitzgerald. But uh, here's the review. The title is Ahoy, One Star. <clears throat> Regularly myopic, often vapid, and painfully frustrating, this podcast reminds me in many ways of our current president. The host spends far too much time reviewing his ratings and success and demeaning anyone who might have anything negative to say about him. Like a child trying to impress, he gloats about top scores on things like chemistry quizzes, and like Trump, he is too nearsighted to see the world through any lens but his own. In 30 episodes, he has referenced himself countless times, and it's painfully apparent how much he likes to hear his own voice. It is not endearing that he constantly repeats, repeats phrases like, I don't know, do you know what I mean? And, dude, what was I even talking about? It is not the least bit interesting when he lets his audience know he's going to go to the bathroom and BRB. And, and it is downright painful to hear him say anything about his girlfriend. <clears throat> this is a person who is not shy to tell you that he feels like he, quote, runs out of material for his weekly therapy appointments, and then proceeds to repeat everything he does happen to say there for this podcast. This is a person who works a crisis line, but rarely sees beyond his own nose. This is a person who aspires to be a psychologist, but projects his demented rationalizations of his own behavior onto everyone else without giving any thought to those in our world who truly suffer. For how well-read he is, for how much he has studied philosophy, for all the time he has spent mitigating crises for others, he is usually only incredibly irritating to listen to. I have my own reasons for continuing to listen, but it's like how you can't stop watching Tiger King or the President's press conferences. Sometimes obsessing over someone else's mess makes you feel better about yourself. Otherwise, there is absolutely no reason to waste an hour of your time listening to the unedited, unrehearsed, unremarkable stream of consciousness drivel that comes out of this guy's mouth. Ciao for now. <clears throat> oh, and there you go. There it is. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of things I could say about this, obviously. I mean, I, you know, the real takeaway is, can you imagine the mindset of a person? I mean, we have thir over 36 hours of content on this podcast, could you imagine the mindset of a person if they truly didn't like the podcast to the extent this person clearly or, or says that they don't, that you would listen to 36 hours or something? I don't think it's possible. And uh, to their point, which is actually my point, this point about, you know, obsessing over someone else's mess can make you feel better about yourself. I mean, that's a point I've, I've made on this podcast. And I think there's actually, a, a, there's a number of points, even critiques about myself that are things that I've made that I, I feel like they've literally lifted from my own mouth. But, um, <clears throat> but uh, I don't know, what can we conclude about somebody who not only listens to 36 hours of a podcast that they hate, but writes something as, I guess, considered as this. I mean, this is not something that somebody threw together. This is, you know, this to me reads like those, you know, long-winded blowhard Facebook posts that people post that where they're, they're trying to sound casual, but you know, they've, they've spent hours over the wording and punctuation. I mean, this is a considered review. Um, and as far as I know, it's the only one that they've written. So, you know, my whole thing is, is, you know, you say you don't like the podcast and I'm, I'm not denying that you could have a litany of complaints about it. I mean, I mean, to their point, I mean, when I listen back to the podcast and I hear how often I say, do you know what I mean? It's like nails on a fucking chalkboard to me. So, um, you know, but what can I say? A broken clock is right twice a day, right? But, um, but, um, 
dude, what was I talking about? Uh, what did I, what was I saying? Yeah, if you, even if you say you don't like this podcast, or if you hate it, you love hating it, man. You love hating this podcast. You know, you don't get to have it both ways. Like, people all the time will say things like, oh, one of my guilty pleasures is this. Oh, no, it doesn't work that way. You just straight up fucking enjoy that. You know what I'm saying? And, dude, if you listen to every single episode of this podcast and you feel compelled to write this considered review, you love this podcast. You may hate it, but you love hating it. And the fact that this is your only review, Jesus Christ, man, there is something profound. You have a profound connection to this podcast. That's what we're thinking about. And clearly, just based on your, your critiques, I mean, you're lifting words right out of my mouth. So I suspect I'm probably influencing you more than you realize. But um, the point is, yeah, the point is, um, <clears throat> you know, well, I'll try to back into my point, which is, uh, dude, your boy, and yeah, I am going to brag about a chemistry thing right now, but I, t- I told you I failed my last exam. I literally bombed it. I got 28 out of 100, you know, and I studied more for that test than any test I've ever studied for in my life. And when I, you know, we took it online and when I hit that submit button, when I, and I, that score was spat back at me, I got a fuck, I mean, it was like getting punched in the gut, you know? And, you know, I think that happens to a lot of people, but, you know, it may sound silly, but in that moment, I felt like, it felt like, I don't know. I mean, to me, I think it's funny that this person thinks all I do is boast about myself, but I, you know, for all the listening they've done, I don't think they're really hearing the context of the podcast, which is I'm a 34-year-old man walking away from a failed creative career who's going back to junior college, you know, and taking uh, trigonometry and chemistry and... um psychology classes alongside ch- children, relative children, <clears throat> you know, and I don't know what my future is, you know? So, you know, I'm not coming from a, pla- a place of confidence. I'm coming from a place of, you know, I-, I don't know if, I don't know if you would call it vulnerability, but that's where I'm coming from. And, you know, it's been, uh, I mean, I would think the the entire ex- experience has been humbling. At the same time, though, you know, it just is the case that, um, you know, I've had to become a pretty resilient person in my life. And, you know, this person, you know, either has no way of knowing or is selectively listening to this podcast, but I've had a lot of chapters in my life and they haven't all been great. And, um, you know, it's not that people haven't gone through worse. Um, I've said it myself, I'm, you know, I'm probably not, but I'm willing to accept the, um, uh, the title of the most privileged person you'll ever meet. <clears throat> but at the same time, you know, I've had my challenges. And um, especially if you're aspiring, if you're an aspiring creative type, you have to develop, you know, a certain level of resiliency because, you know, what people experience is your success is really just your continued operation in the face of all your failures that you're, that you are painfully aware of. You know, um, I was going to 999 things out of a thousand that you attempt or reach out for or try to uh, accomplish in your creative life will fail. And, you know, you may be able to string a few successes together and that's what looks like success to other people. But it's really not 
that's not what the subjective experience is. Do you know what I mean? And, um, and in a way, I think what I'm saying is when I got that chemistry score, it was a microcosm of what I felt like my life had been up, up, had been up until that point. I mean, I legitimately studied harder for this test than any test I've ever studied. And I felt confident and I felt, you know, it was challenging while I was doing it, but I still felt, you know, I felt this way the last time on the first test and I still got an A. And when I saw that score spat out, it just felt inevitable, you know, and it felt, you know, in that minute, it was like it confirmed every negative thought I've ever had about myself. And it felt like a microcosm of my creative career, you know, um, um, and I'm not saying that I realized that in that moment. I mean, it was, it just, I was disappointed, but as I sort of thought about it, I realized, you know, you know, what it was bringing up for me was a lot of other feelings about failure and, um, and struggling. And despite doing, having, being a great student, actually, as I returned to school, I've been a great student. And I, I mean, it was like, I I had, had always felt that it was only a matter of time before my luck ran out. And lo and behold, here it was. And, um, you know, so that was a hard, that was a hard pill to swallow. And, uh, you know, I wasn't sure how I was going to sort of come back from it. Do you know what I mean? And, um, you know, but like a lot of things in my life, creative, personal, um, and now academic, you know, I lick my wounds for a while and it hurts, but I always come back. And, you know, I'm not pretending like this is some Herculean effort or whatever, but, but I think it's observably true in my life that that's who I am. You know, despite every disappointment I've ever had, I come back. You know, and your boy had a chemistry exam this morning, and guess how he did? Your boy got 100%. And as I was taking that exam, I was like, I'm fucking killing it right now. I studied my ass off. I was up, I, I was working, and, and, and I'm working full time, and as I'm working, I'm still studying. I get off work at midnight and I'm like, I could go to bed because I got to wake up at like seven for the exam. But I was like, no, you're going to do more studying. In fact, you're going to review your answers from the last exam to see um, if you can avoid making the same types of mistakes. Do you know what I'm saying? And, um, and I killed it. And when that, you know, when I hit submit and it spat that 100% back at me, it was incredibly validating. You know, I was embarrassed. I mean, we're taking these exams online where you have to have your, we're doing them via Zoom, right? And so I have video and I, I was embarrassed that I was literally like pumping my fist in the air like, yes, yes. <clears throat> I'm just glad they didn't have audio. But, um, you know, that was a great moment for me. And look, I, again, I've said this myself. I know you guys don't give a shit about my grades. I know you don't give a shit, but you're smart, most of you. Most of you who listen to this podcast are smart. Like anything, you realize it's not the bit of information that's important. It's not the fact that I got an A on my chemistry exam, although that's fucking awesome. You know, you're absorbing the zeitgeist of my life. It's not, it's not just cool that I got an A in chemistry. It's that, you know, I'm walking away from a failed creative career and going back to school and I'm feeling insecure and I'm feeling vulnerable, you know? And it's not that that's your life, but like any creative project, like any movie, song, or whatever, you know, you're going to make points of contact with your own life. 
you know, and maybe it does sound conceited when you hold yourself up as an example for other people, but that's the conceit of doing anything, you know, that's the conceit of running for president. You know, you, you, you are saying that you're the best (laughs) and you're the most competent and you are qualified for the position and you would do a good job. I mean, uh, is it Larry David? No, not Larry David. Um, Oh man, I'm going to feel bad that I can't remember his name because it's a great point. But there is a comedian who makes this point that, you know, beware of any person who wakes up in the morning and looks in the mirror and goes, you know what? I should lead, (laughs) you know, I should lead the people. But that's the conceit of every politician. There is a similar conceit with every musician, every actor, every podcaster. Yeah, I believe that I have something to say and I do believe that there's something in my own life. Um, that that most people could draw on and find a meaning in, and not everybody, but uh, but uh, the, there's enough people out there that might care what I have to say or might care what my life is and what I'm going through. And it's not about the details per se, but it's about the you know the the prism of my experience, you know, and the points of contact that you find in your own life. Um, you know, that's the important part. But for me, and I I think especially in the early episodes, this was the note I probably hit more than anything. This whole podcast is an exercise in resilience for me. You know, um, you know, I always always go off on these tangents and I realize I abandoned the point, but I, I, I just want to follow my thinking here, which is I was working last night and I was on my break and I got a text from an old friend of mine. His name's Kevin Sullivan, uh, Sullivan, and he writes and performs as field medic. And, uh, you know, if you listen to kind of folky acoustic music, there's a decent chance you've heard, you know, he's doing pretty well right now. He's touring with a lot of big bands and things are kind of taken off for him. He's living down in Los Angeles now. But, um, you know, we were sort of good musical acquaintances, I would say. You know, we played a bunch of shows together. Um, I remember going down with, with him to... Um, I think we were talking about Mountain View on the last episode, but, uh, he went down there, I, you know, I took him down there for some shows a couple of times, but he was just a creative person that I was really endeared to. And since he's been in LA, we've touched base a couple of times and, you know, I've, I've even hit him up for some favors or whatever, but, but, uh, I hadn't heard from him in a while. And he, uh, I guess a mutual friend of ours had heard my most recent tiny desk contest submission. Um, I created this, you know, performance video for this NPR tiny desk contest. And uh, one of our mutual friends had just shared it with him and said, Oh, Hey, check this out. And he just sent me like, he fired off like six text messages to me about how much he liked it. And then he just straight up called me before I responded. He just straight up called me and we spoke for like 40 minutes, you know, just kind of catching up. But, um, you know, it was just, um, it just felt really nice. Do you know? it just felt nice to hear from somebody that I had deep respect for creatively. You know, I mean, there's, you know, when you're in a local music community, there's plenty of people that you, you get along with everyone. There's plenty of people who are nice. There's plenty of people that you like hanging out with. And you may even have people who you are better friends with and that you see more of. But, you know, the the number of people that you truly respect their work is few and far between. You know, and Kevin is one of the few people that I've heard his songs from day one and was like, oh, I, I'm like this guy. Like me and this, me and this guy are, are shooting for the same thing. Maybe in different ways, but it was like, I heard his work and I heard myself in there. Do you know what I mean? Um, um, and it was just nice. It was, it was nice to hear from him. And why the fuck is this coming up? Um, how does this relate to the review? What the fuck am I talking about? Um, 
<laughs> yeah, prophecy fulfilled. I was worried that I would lose my point, and lo and behold, uh, I have. Um, yeah, I don't know. But what I'm thinking now is, you know, there was something about that that was validating, you know? Oh, here's what it was. He and I were talking about, and he reflected this back to me, that, you know, one thing he says he's always liked about me um, is that I'm willing to try new things, you know, and I was qualifying it, well, it's probably hasn't been good for my career. It's probably one of the primary reasons I don't have a a creative career, that I've changed my artist name multiple times. Um, You know, those are confusing things for people, and it's easy to lose people when you do that, because people's attention is already divided so many times. You know, you, you, you know, what I should have done is just written and performed as the plastic arts and never fucking changed. And, and, uh, you know, I can't say that I would have been successful, but I do think there's a decent chance that I could have, um, brought more people along the entire journey. Um, but, uh, but I was saying one thing I know that I have is I'm not scared to start over. I'm not scared to start something new. And, you know, um, whether people think it's good or not that right now that that's the podcast, and, you know, I've said a thousand times, I'm doing a hundred episodes of this thing. And especially in the first episodes, the long silences, not knowing what the fuck to talking, not knowing what I was going to talk about. Um, you know, this has been sort of a, um, an exercise in, you know, resiliency, courage, I don't know what you call it, um, to push myself to do something that I'm, that I may not be very good at, but that I feel called to do for whatever reason. And either at the end of a hundred episodes, I will feel quite a bit better. You know, I'll feel more skilled in it and I'll continue doing it. But even if I don't, even if I stop after a hundred episodes, I'm forging, this experience is forging something in me that I will need for the next thing that I do, even though I have no fucking clue what it is. Um, And again, this person makes a thousand points that I disagree with, but I think that my major critique is, and it's probably no fault of their own. It's just that this podcast is not for them, but that, that, that point is lost on them. You know, it makes me feel like they listened to the 36 hours of this podcast and it's just fucking washed over them, you know, or they've, you know, they've, they're, they're choosing to hear it in a very specific way. And it's, my guess is it's with their arms folded, you know? Um, they don't want to like the podcast, but again, I make the point, you know, if you listen to 36 hours of a podcast that you say that you hate, you, you fucking, you love it. You love this podcast. You love hating this podcast, you know? And I don't know what that is. That's, that's something you have to figure out in your own therapy. But the point is, you know, when you, when you do anything creative, you open yourself up to criticism and, you know, is it obvious to say that, you know, I'm my own worst critic, you know, as much as you may not like listening to a podcast episode, do you know what it's like to fucking be the one doing it? You know, no one who's listening to this can picture me right now, uh, in the living experience of recording it, sitting in my room and with my microphone, just speaking, you know, and I'm not saying that everyone's going to like it. It's not that, you know, people are not going to like it for sure, but I, I just don't understand the impulse of somebody who's, who writes such a considered and meticulous review, even though it's wrong, <laughs> of something like that, you know, especially something like this. Like, in a way, I kind of get, like, if this was the fucking Joe Rogan podcast and we had millions of listeners, 
you know, this is a part of the cultural zeitgeist and someone can critique it as part of a larger criticism of society at whole, of society as a whole. But this is a little itty bitty mom and pop podcast, you know, how, how can someone um, summon the, um, the, the ire, you know, or the cantankerousness to, to, uh, to, to skewer a little a mom and pop operation like this. It, it makes me think that this is, this is something personal. Um, but, um, but the point is, is like, and again, it's not a Herculean thing, but you know, part of life is, and continuing with anything is not only, you, you know, uh, withstanding your own self-criticism, which is actually sometimes the most difficult, but you know, to read that somebody fucking hates your guts and even in this moment, not only have they hated everything that you've said up until now, if, when they hear this episode, and they fucking will, by the way, that they're hating everything I'm saying now. And yet, your boy is not stopping. And it's not because I'm, not because what I'm doing right now is important, but because I'm on a motherfucking mission you know, and I don't even know where we're going. I don't even, I don't even know what the destination is, but I'm hearing the call and I'm following it. And I, I don't pretend to know. I can only speculate, but I fucking guarantee you the person who wrote this does not have a body of work to show us, you know, and I'm, and again, I haven't been six quote successful with a capital S, but I have a body of work behind me. I have a body of creative work, musical work. And this podcast is going to be part of it. And it doesn't matter that, you know, somebody listens to it with their arms folded, thinking that it's a complete waste of time. It's the deed itself that is the accomplishment. The fact that I continue to do it, even if it's awful. That's the accomplishment. I mean, for me, the, the, the epitome of that, the pinnacle of that is stand-up comedy. <clears throat> you know, you hear of some cases like Jay Leno or Seinfeld or Chappelle, people who just seem to like have it at a young age. You know, they kill the first time they go up and do stand up. But for most people, you suck for a very, very, very long time. You have to eat shit literally thousands of times. You have to die a thousand deaths on stage, you know, tell these jokes to fucking silence and, and have people think you're a fucking loser, idiot, dumbass for wasting their time before you even begin to get good. And that's why, you know, I think that's why psychologically we revere stand-up comedians so much. It's just their voice and a microphone and their, the strength of their ideas. You know, and that's not a skill that you have usually. It's something you have to cultivate over a long period of time. Um, and, you know, it, it's this private gestational thing that you have to cultivate um, not only against criticism and failure, but over long periods of time. And most people don't have the stomach for it. Um, I mean, it's easy to watch something like SNL and be like, dude, this isn't funny. I feel like I could do it. You, you can't fucking do it, <laughs> you know? You can't fucking do it. And the only reason you think you can do it is because comedy or art, when it's well done, is like a magic trick. You're not seeing the fucking moves. You know, when you see a great gymnast or a great figure skater, you go, oh, they make it look so easy. Yeah, well, that's the fucking craft. <laughs> You know, you erase all the pencil marks and all the sketches. Do you know what I mean? So they just see the finished form. Anyway, you don't need to hear that. Um, the point is, is the deed itself is is uh, is the accomplishment. And the reason this came up 
you know, I, the day I read this review, uh, Chris Alia came out with his most, I assume it's his most recent podcast episode. It's called The Man in the Arena. And he reads this quote about Roosevelt. And, you know, maybe it sounds operatic or dramatic, but, you know, this is kind of how I see the whole thing. And so let me, let me pull it up. I should have had it pulled up, obviously, but I, I don't. So um, let's see. The Man in the Arena quote. Okay, so here it is. I'm going to read it to you now. And I I admit, it's operatic, but, you know, I think you'll understand where I'm coming from. So this is a quote from Theodore Roosevelt. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again, who spends himself in a worthy cause who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. Now, dramatic. <laughs> it's dramatic. <laughs> Not the way I would have worded it, probably, but I agree... I agree with the thread that's in there. You know, and I don't need to belabor the point, but I think I've said it enough. You know, for me, the accomplishment is the doing of it. I would like it to be great. I would like for everybody to love this podcast. But I'm also fine if they don't. You know, and I don't want to give so much power to one review, but in the same way that you know, that one test score is a microcosm of, a, a, you know, is it a myriad or do you just say myriad? Myriad other experiences I've had in my life. <clears throat> you know, this review is a microcosm of uh, a lot of things I've experienced, you know, and in a creative career, it's a lot of rejection. It's mostly rejection. And again, what people experience as your success is just your continued operation in the face of all your failures. So, um, you know, this is not one of those, I love my hater rants and, uh, you know, this is not one of those I'll show you, but it's just, you know, affirming for me that it's not going to be easy all the time. You're not going to be celebrated. And I don't know that I fully agree with this, but I think there's something to it. You know, you actually kind of know that you're doing something interesting when people don't like it. You know what I mean? And it's not one of those things like I literally you know, YouTube like shows you shit that you th it thinks you'll like and you'll think, why the fuck? Why would I watch this? And then you watch it and you're fucking obsessed and you start going down the rabbit hole. But like, I've seen all these dragons, is it dragons den videos? Like, you know, shark tank where people pitch shit. There's a UK version called dragons den. Anyway, I've been watching, you know, entrepreneurs come and they pitch things to these, um, to these, uh, financiers, venture capitalists. I don't know what you call them, but they're looking for people to invest in their, in their fucking shit or whatever. And, uh, I literally just saw one where this guy shows up with this like slim PC thing and literally all six or seven judges or, um, um, business guys or sharks or what are dragons, whatever the fuck they're called. They just tell him, dude, this is a fucking disaster nightmare. And, uh, please don't put any more money into this and, and please give this up. This will never work. And he has this fall. I mean, you look at it and you're like, yeah, this is garbage. But he has this, you know, he does that thing that people on American Idol do when they're told, dude, give it up, walk away, don't ever do this. And they go, you'll see, I'll be successful. I'm going to come back and show you guys. He gives them kind of one of those things. So, 
you know, I'm not talking about that level of, um, uh, that level of, uh, sort of a come to Jesus sobering moment of humility where you need to take a good long look in the mirror and reevaluate. But, um, you know, people say when you start to do something that's actually interesting, it's polarizing. And, uh, again, this podcast is not for everybody. You know, and I, again, I admit it, I, I'm not fully formed yet, but uh, this is a process. And, you know, I, I, again, I would argue that if you stuck around this long, there is something, something about this podcast, <clears throat> something about this podcast that you really enjoy. So anyway, maybe that's enough about that topic. I do want to say though, dude, I, 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 you know, I got to big up myself, dude. The fact that I got an A on that exam really was fulfilling. And it it just sort of reinvigorates me. And I think as I've gone through my life, it's hard because I, I feel like I'm constantly trying to recalibrate my machinery. Um, I mean, it kind of, I don't know, it kind of goes back to talking about my friend uh, Kevin, field medic. And, you know, you just, I mean, maybe everybody thinks they're special, but, you know, sometimes you feel like you have a gift, you know, and sometimes it's even that feeling is even magnified because you're surrounded by a lot of other people who you just feel are not as good as you are not as talented as you are not as, um, gifted as you, you know, and I, and I use the word gift because it's not something that you, I mean, you do cultivate it, but it, it really feels like it was something that was bestowed on you. And when you stumble across someone like field medic, you go, Oh, you're the real motherfucking deal. You know, you're, 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 you're like me or you're the type of person I want to become or whatever. And, you know, as you're, as you continue through your creative career, whatever, and you face rejection, you really fucking second guess yourself. You think, damn, am I as delusional as everybody else? You know, I'm surrounded by people who think that they're special and I I know that they're fucking not. Am I, am I that kind of a quote idiot? You know, am I that misguided about myself? And especially if the career that you set out for is not working, especially a creative career, you think I'm fucking insane, you know? And as I've gone back to school, I've taken all that insecurity that I, that I always had with me in my creative career and I've applied it to school. I'm literally waiting for shit to fail. You know, I'm waiting f- to be outpaced. I'm, I'm waiting for the, you know, every time I get an A, I feel like I'm getting away with it. Do you know? And even though I work hard and I do the work, I, I feel like, I'm just waiting to be found out, you know, that sort of imposter syndrome thing. And, um, and you know, you're chugging along and you start stringing these experiences together where you say, okay, I was nervous, but you know, I did the work and look, it's always worked out for me. And so you think, okay, I, this is the vibration. This is the tuning fork. I need to start setting my instrument to like, tolerate the anxiety and trust in the process, you know, trust the cushion of experience like we've talked about. And then when you have these anomalies, like, damn, I studied harder for that test than anything I've ever studied for. And I still failed. What the fuck's wrong with me? It, your compass just starts to fucking spin. And it's, it's, it's really challenging. And so, you know, to have a recent experience where I worked my ass off and it paid off, it's, uh, you know, it makes me feel more confident that, uh, that's the vibe I need to be on, you know? But yeah, resiliency. I mean, that's, that's another one of those words that gets bandied around so much. You know, everyone talks about resiliency and 
I feel like it gets lumped in with self-care and all that sort of shit. These sort of, um, not that they're vap, not, not that they're like vapid or empty terms. I mean, they're, they're, they are meaningful, but they just get kind of tossed around too casually. Our sort of psychobabbly jargon that, uh, people use, um, usually with a lot of breath in their voice. But I was thinking about this in terms of the shelter in place recently. Um, part of being on the crisis lines is you speak to a lot of parents who are struggling with the shelter in place because not only are they trying to navigate their own anxieties about their own lives, maybe some of them are recently unemployed, they're trying to be strong for their children. And one thing that's come up in my conversations is thinking, you know, life is, I mean, is it obvious to say that life is, and life is hard, you know, um, it's inevitably difficult and there are inevitable challenges and difficulties and nothing is certain. I mean, I think if there's one thing that is really starting to be driven home uh, for me about the shelter in place is how little control we have over our lives. And it's not that, you know, you can just leave things to fate and it, it you know, what will be, what will, it, what will be, will be, but you know, there's a huge X factor in our life that we just don't have control over. And yeah, you should focus on school and yes, you should try to work on focus on your career. But when the rain falls, it doesn't just fall on one man's house. You know, it fucking comes for everybody. And when you have something this big, it derails lives, you know, and it has nothing to do with you. You know, I think about my last boss, the restaurant owner, who I have no fucking idea how this is impacting him, but that dude was a fucking, that, that is a great guy who works his goddamn ass off. He's a good father. He's a good worker. He's like everything you would want in a man. Do you know what I mean? Like a, like a fully formed good man, the type of person you would want your, you know, that one would want to grow up to be, or would want their son to grow up to be. Um, and the fact that this thing came along and maybe, you know, pulled the rug out from under him, uh, you know, that's a scary prospect. I mean, it's, it's that anxiety that's kept me from like, looking in on him and seeing how he's doing. You know, I, there's something, it's like when someone goes away to prison, they say like, yeah, people write you at first and then they stop because it's hard. You know, there's something about being in touch with somebody who's going through a rough time that it kind of, you know, not consciously all the time, but it highlights your own vulnerability. And it's, you know, it's like people who are dying in hospital, a lot of times they don't hear from people people don't come to visit them or if they do, they do it once so they can tick that, tick that box and fulfill that obligation. And then they just kind of go back to their lives. And, and again, it's not that people experience it consciously, but because, you know, there's something deeply unsettling about coming into contact with your own vulnerability. I mean, we've talked about the short story, the death of Ivan Ilyich by Tolstoy on here. That story is exactly that um, scenario played out. You know, people keeping Ivan Ilyich as as he's dying at a distance because they can't face their own mortality. You know, and that's what makes his suffering so isolating. You know, and um, but resiliency. You know, in some ways, I think for parents, this is a. And again, I realize people's lives are devastated. You know, some people are just not in a position to do much of anything. They've, they're unemployed, some are sick, people are dying, etc. But for the overwhelmingly vast majority of us, you know, along with this anxiety comes this opportunity to cultivate some resiliency. 
you know, and it doesn't make things easier day to day, but you know, this is a teachable moment for children to, for, for parents to demonstrate to children how to deal with adversity, that things happen and nothing is certain. Um, you know, we can never guarantee our own safety, but all we can do is what we can do. And even though that will leave us with some anxiety, you know, what is, what are, what are you going to do in the face of that? You know, you just have to continue going. You have to keep pushing forward and, you know, kind of face your fate in a way. Do you know what I mean? And I don't know, as I'm saying it, it feels kind of like reductionistic or whatever, but, but I think that there's something to that. I mean, I think this will be our sort of generational thing where it's like, you know, you have some people who say, oh, why is your grandmother so frugal? It's like, oh, well, she grew up during the Depression. You know, we're going to be parents who are sort of obsessed with kids washing their hands. And they're like, why is your parents such a germaphobe? They go, oh, they were they were around for the coronavirus, you know. But uh, that's a reality, you know, and I think it's confusing for older generations when they, you know, that's why they say things like, oh, this generation doesn't know how good they have it. They haven't experienced the types of things that they are not guaranteed to being spared from. You know, I think when something like 9-11 happens, it's sobering because we go, oh shit, it could happen here too. You know, or a pandemic hits and we go, oh, we're not safe. <laughs> you know, there are forces at play here that are stronger than all of us. And if we happen to come into contact with them, we're fucked. And we have no defense. You know, we can't reason our way out of it. We can't buy our way out of it. We can't politic our way out of it. You know, it's coming for everybody. You know, and of course it causes anxiety. Of course it makes people scared, but I mean, that's that's the deal of life, right? I mean, I come back to this over and over again with my girlfriend and again, I'm sure she does understand, but it's like a lot of things. You You feel so deeply impacted by it. You just, it's hard to accept the fact that other people are absorbing it to the extent that you're, that you feel it, which is, this insane idea to me that for most, for nearly all of history, most people have died in pain, anguish, and fear. You know, they didn't have medical intervention, so you probably, you know, if you broke your ankle, I mean, how many people go through life and break a bone? You know, thankfully, I've, I've never done that yet, but you know, until relatively recently, there was really no fix for that, (laughs) you know, or if you got sick, you died, you know, until recently, a urinary tract infection would have killed you, and it wouldn't be pleasant, you know what I'm saying, there's no coma, there's no uh, medically induced coma for you to drift to sleep into, you would just die, or you'd be eaten by an animal, do you know what I mean? And, uh, or you'd freeze to death and, and that was your life. Or, you know, you lived in a more, you know, quote, barbaric time where you could just be chilling in your village and because resources were scarce, somebody else came in and killed everybody or took you captive and just took your stuff. I mean, that's the reality of life for many people today, but that is not a fate that by virtue of where you live, that you are guaranteed being spared. You know, there could be an, you know, at some point there could be an army that invades this country and occupies it. And then what? 
You know what I'm saying? Then you're governed by the Japanese or or whoever does it. You know, and the and the question that I come back to is is you know people say why me? It's like the real question is why not you? You know, and of course that's easy to say from uh, the safety of shore or you know not actually going through the experience. I mean, I'm not sure I'll I'll say that so easily if I when I actually go through some shit. But it's like, why not you? You know, it's like Kobe Bryant dies in a helicopter crash. It doesn't matter how talented you are. It doesn't matter what you've accomplished in your life. There's no reason you can't die in a helicopter crash. You know, there's no reason that uh, you can't get killed by a drunk driver. Do you know? There's nothing about you that saves you. You know, but that's the unspoken conceit that we all sort of live life with, you know? And we can't hold on to it all the time, but... I mean, are you like me when you sort of think about these things? Does it kind of hit you like a bucket of water is how I describe it? Which I stole from... Excuse me, I'm stifling a burp here, but... I mean, I stole that phrase from Reservoir Dogs. You know, he's... uh, uh, Tim Ross' character is recounting, you know, his bullshit story about drugs at a train station or something. And he says, and I saw the cops and panic hit me like a bucket of water. Yeah. But that's the phrase I use. I mean, it, it, it's like you, you're doing one thing and all of a sudden the enormity of some concept like death or whatever hits you and it's like you can't think. It's like you've been punched in the face, you see stars for like 30 seconds, you know, and then you go back to your life. But, uh, you know, the fact that, no, I mean, nothing, there's no reason you can't catch coronavirus. You know, there's no reason not you. There's no reason not you to die alone in a in a hospital. I mean, it was painful, and I hadn't really considered it. Um, the, is it Michael Yo, the comedian who had coronavirus, and he was in the hospital? And they basically told him, "Look, this is going to get better very quickly, or it's going to get worse very quickly. But either way, you're not seeing anyone. You know, you're, it's too dangerous to let people see you. So if you die, you die alone." You know, and there's no reason not you. And that could be the story of you. That could be the end of you. And there's no reason why it can't happen to you. There's nothing special about you that would keep that from happening. All you can do is what you can do. You can shelter in place. You can wash your hands. And that, that'll probably do you. That'll probably, you know, you're, you, you will most likely be fine. But not everyone And there's no reason why it can't be you. Anyway, this was supposed to be uplifting, but you know, the point I'm trying to say is this is an opportunity to develop resiliency. But maybe that's an obvious point. I don't know. You know, I will say it really depends on how you're wired, but like for me, like I'm pretty, I'm pretty introverted. I'm fine kind of being by myself. I, I mean, I've, I probably said it here on the podcast. I mean, when I look back on my life, I've, I almost, I mean, I certainly have spent the, the vast majority of my time on this planet alone in isolation, 
you know, literally by myself. And uh, so for me, I, you know, I talk to a lot of people who say they're going stir crazy and they, they miss their friends and they miss connecting with people. I, I, I don't I don't have that. You know, I like my coworkers a lot and some of them I'm especially endeared to, but it's like I don't miss seeing people. But for someone like my girlfriend, I, I feel, especially as the time continues, it becomes increasingly more difficult. And, you know, she's very eager to kind of do something or go somewhere. And it's just so hard. I mean, interacting with people now has become so, I don't know, so something. You know, it's like every person I cross on this or I pass on the street, it's like I have to give them this exaggerated head nod, like, hello, human, I acknowledge you. You know, and not make them feel like I perceive them as a threat, which some people just straight up fucking do. You know what I'm saying? They fucking do that back away, stand six inches apart and fucking like <laughs> slink along the wall to sort of let you pass so you don't fucking get within six feet of them and shit. And it's like, you know, my girlfriend's a big hiker and it's like, I don't want to, part of what I don't want to do, first of all, you know, you talk to people and go like around Lake Merritt in Oakland, there's fucking packed on the weekends. And you're like, Jesus Christ, one, I don't, I certainly don't want to deal with that shit, but I also just don't want to encounter people on the hiking trails, you know? I mean, we did this thing where I was like, you know what, I'll pack a, I'll pack a lunch and we'll go somewhere and we'll see the Golden, we'll drive across the Golden Gate Bridge and we'll drive into the North Bay and we'll, we'll find a place to settle down and have lunch and get this nice view of the Golden Gate Bridge. Well, guess what? Every single fucking person and their mother had the exact same idea and everything was closed. But as you're trying to poke into all these like park areas and pull-offs and literally everyone's there. And so of course, everybody's getting stir crazy. Everybody wants to go out and fucking, and thinks that they're going to be the only ones on the hiking trail, but I don't want to fucking be on the hiking trail with everybody else wearing a face mask. And, you know, for me, it's much easier to stay home, but, um, but that's just how I'm wired. I'm fine with that. I mean, I think it has uh, some emotional influence on me. I mean, I think I, I'm more sad for it. <clears throat> but, you know, it's, I guess the hard part for me is just the emotional component. It's not the staying at home that's hard. I don't get bored. I'm fine. I'm fine with it. You know, this shelter in place sort of plays to my strengths, I guess, but. Yeah, that review, though, has me thinking about, well, because as I'm sitting here in silence, I'm thinking, well, I've sort of run out of material, but it is funny for me or interesting for me, rather, when I, you know, how the podcast and therapy sort of blends together, because, you know, sometimes there's things that come in ther- come up in therapy that I bring to the podcast, or there's things that I, that come up in the podcast that I think about that come into therapy, and it's like, I guess I've been thinking about you know, especially in this time for me, therapy has felt like very disjointed. <clears throat> you know, of course the, the appointments still happen a week apart, but they feel like they happen fucking light years apart, you know? And, you know, I spent nearly all the last session just talking about this call that came up for me on the crisis lines, but it, it felt completely unrelated to what we had been talking about in the weeks before. And I felt like I was getting distracted or something. And I, I just, I've always had this idea or I, I guess I should say I always struggle and live with this idea that that therapy is supposed to be linear. You know that I'm that there are certain things I'm supposed to be talking about in order to to get better and to heal myself. <clears throat> and no matter how many times it comes up or we talk about this or remind me about it, it's just it's like impossible to ingratiate all the time that it's not. 
you know, and even though I come to therapy with all these ideas of what we should be talking about, the plot twist of therapy, and I think that's the title of the episode where we talk about this plot twist, you know, the plot twist of therapy is that it is what it is. And whatever's coming up for you is exactly what you're supposed to be talking about. I mean, unless you're clearly avoiding something. And there were times in therapy, especially in the first like two years, where there were things I knew were an issue and needed to be discussed and did not fucking talk about. One of them was uh, my drinking. Um, I mean, that did not come up for the first year. I mean, I actively avoided that topic. So that's not what I'm talking about. Um, You know, it's this idea that things come up for a reason. And it's hard to know exactly how, but... You know, whatever we touch on is what needs to get distu- needs to get discussed. And uh, at, we know when I find myself at these junctures in the conversation, or this soliloquy, or this stream of consciousness dribble, or whatever you call it, um, you know, I think, what should I be talking about? What happened this week? And ninety nine times out of a hundred, when I do this, I end the podcast and say, "How the fuck did I not think to mention that? How did that not come up?" That was the single most important thing that happened to me this week, and yet, no thought of it. But I guess, you know, it's just trusting the podcast and trusting that, or <laughs> trusting the podcast, trusting the process, and that whatever comes up is, uh, is coming up for a reason. Even as I'm thinking, though, there are things that I'm thinking that I'm actively avoiding. One of them is drumming. I've been, uh, I've kind of hit this plate, you know, I, I've been doing this sort of jazz drumming, practicing, and there, the last couple of weeks I was kind of hitting a roadblock. You know, I had sort of plateaued, and, you know, there were areas of development I wanted to be making that I just, I couldn't push through, you know? And I kind of just went back to basics. You know, I, and, you know, you work through these, um, you know, they're called comp exercises. And comp is short for compliment, but it's this idea that as a jazz drummer, you know, you really keep time with the ride and the left, the left foot, the hi-hat. And sometimes with the bass drum pedal, you just play on the quarter notes. Um, but you comp or complement the melody or the music by playing freely on the snare drum with your left hand. And um, it takes a lot of practice to cultivate because you, you have to keep a consistent ride pattern, sometimes a consistent pattern with the right foot while, well, you know, while landing on two and four with the left foot. And there's a lot of brain nodding that happens when you're trying to move the left hand around and play at different points in the measure while trying to maintain this, uh, um, this consistent rhythm at the same time in other, in other parts of your body, right? Um, but the idea is you get to a point where those, you know, your right hand, right foot, and left foot are so automatic that you can literally play anything in the left hand on the snare, and it doesn't matter. That will, that will be unchanging. It's just so ingrained in your body. But as you sort of work through these different exercises, you know, you have to play them very slowly and then you sort of build up speed over time. And, you know, I I think it's like a lot of things in life. You just try to keep chipping away and you want to see the same amount of progress and you want to keep putting one foot in front of the other. And, And when you first start something new, you can certainly, at least for me anyway, I find that I tend to, I tend to excel at things very quickly in the beginning. And then when things get hard, um, which they inevitably, inevitably do, that's when it's a dangerous time for me because it's not easy for me to sit with things that are difficult. You know, it's uh, it's something I still have to practice. You know, it's I, I want to see myself do well and 
you know, it's, you know, I, 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 whether it's food or, um, uh, how I spend my time, it's hard for me to do things like homework or things that are challenging. But, um, you know, I've found instead of what's actually worked for me is instead of just keep like hitting these metronome markers for these comp exercises and instead of just trying to go faster all the time, you know, you actually make a lot of progress by going backwards, you know, and not that it's fast at all. This is like bare minimum stuff, but especially when you start getting into these like um, 16 note uh, pair triplet patterns with the, either the right foot or with the left hand, you can't play them nearly as fast as you can relatively simple exercises. And, you know, you think, damn, I'm supposed to be playing this at 120 and I just can't push past 98. And uh, sometimes just going back to 60, instead of just keep knocking on the door of 100 that you're trying to get to or 120 that you're trying to get to, you actually make a lot more progress when you actually go back a few steps, when you roll the metronome back to 60 or 70 or 80 and really focus on feel. You know, and if you can really play it strong at a slow tempo, a slow tempo, a slow tempo, you actually can play it. You find that sometimes when you return to the fast tempo, you can actually play it better. It's pretty interesting. <clears throat> but again, resiliency, persistence. You know, I mean, there were you know when when I'm drumming now, it's so easy for me when I'm not doing well to think, oh yeah, dude, you're not supposed to be doing this, man. You're not a drummer. You fucking you suck. You know but I've really had to be mindful about how I talk to myself and kind of like, it's kind of embarrassing to say this, but kind of be a cheerleader for myself, you know, and even say out loud sometimes, like when I, when I start something new and it's challenging or even something that I've been looking at for weeks and was formerly doing well on and now it's difficult. You know, I, I literally have to say to myself, Hey, this is challenging for you right now, but if you keep chipping away at it, you're going to, you're going to do well, you know, and sometimes the payoffs are so few and far between, you know, but when they, when they, when it works, like sometimes you just sit down to play and you're like, dude, I'm, I'm in it today. Damn, dude. I guess that hard work is paying off, you know? I mean, it's like if you watch the hands of a clock all the time, you'll never see the fucking time change. But when you just sort of put your head down and trust the, proce- trust the process and you look up, you're like, damn, time is fucking flying. And you know, chemistry is a microcosm of that too. You know, there was a big payoff today, but you know, you had to have the peaks and valleys, you know, but the reason it paid off is because it just consistent effort in the same direction, despite setbacks, you know, and that's what this podcast is, dude, we're on episode 33. Holy shit. That's an accomplishment that that is something to be proud of. Whether someone else likes it or not, that is an accomplishment. You know, and it's not something that you can hang your life on, but it's something to be proud of. And it's important to be proud of yourself. You know, you got to celebrate those little victories. You got to keep blowing wind in your own sails because, you know, if you're always holding yourself up against the big picture, you'll never succeed. You know, in the same way, if a comedian judged their first performance against Richard Pryor, they'd never get back on stage. You know, you literally have to trust fate and trust, well, if I keep going up there, I'll get better. <clears throat> anyway. You guys get it, though. Thank you for listening to this podcast, those who do regularly. I, 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 again, I see you. You know, we have this cohort of people who I see through the weeks, you know, sort of as a body are moving through the episodes. You know on for you know there's usually like a a five episode 
margin from the most recent one where you see people sort of following like like a, almost like a comet tail in a way do you know what i'm saying and you know people are are rolling back to the beginning too it's interesting it's 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 kind of neat to see with the numbers you can sort of speculate that people are pushing through the episodes and it, it's again it's it's a small thing but it's a small good thing you know and you know if you do enjoy this podcast thank you for listening um I'm hearing myself kind of wrapping up here and wondering if I should keep pushing forward, but well, you know, we'll just let it fucking end if it has to. Um, thanks for listening. And you know, if you have nice things you want to say about this podcast and you want to, um, try to bury this bad review by all fucking means, man, uh, you know, find us on Apple podcasts, uh, write a couple sentences about what you like, you know, give us a five star review, share the podcast with other people. Um, you know, or you could keep me near yourself. Um, it's not good for my ego, but hey, it is what it is. I'd rather have at least one dedicated listener than, uh, than, uh, a bunch of passive ones. So, um, yeah. I don't know. As I'm sort of sitting here, I think subject matter wise, this is one of those important episodes to me. And I think it's like a lot of things in life. When you want it to be good, when you want to have said something important, when you want to do a good episode, you're likely not going to get it. And it's usually the episodes that you have no expectations for where you sit down, have no fucking idea what you're going to talk about that are the interesting ones. So as I'm finishing here, I'm not sure if we, I'm not sure what we accomplished with this one, but, um, but, uh, but it is what it is. And it's, uh, it's, it's one episode and a constellation of others. So, uh, we'll keep pushing forward. Um, until then, thanks for listening. I appreciate your time. And ciao. For now. Now.